Good morning, Woodhaven. Good morning. Let's try that one more time. Good morning, Woodhaven. Good morning. All right, all right. Do not, be, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. There's good news. There's certainly good news, and we're going to talk about that good news today. Um, certainly a joy to be here with you guys, sharing in the ministry of the word, and I always count it a privilege to do so. But before we get, uh, begin and before we dive in, I'm going to open up with a word of prayer. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for just your love and your kindness that you've shown us through the Lord Jesus. God, I pray that you would use this time to, to grow us in the knowledge of your son, Jesus. I pray that as we're, we're reminded of the truth of the gospel, the good news, I pray, God, that uh, our hearts would be able to just settle in that and to be able to rejoice in it as we go through your word and we, we're, we're exposed to your truth. I pray that would be so for us this morning. So, Father, use this time for your glory. Build us in areas that we need to be built in. Transform us, God. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So good morning again. Yeah. So today we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew uh, for our time this morning. And our focus is going to be uh, Matthew chapter one. I know my slide says one verses 18 through 25. Um, so just hang in there because we're going to actually read. Uh, we're going to be in all of Matthew chapter one. OK, we'll be in the entire chapter. Uh, this text is a familiar passage, uh, given the time of year that we're in, the time of the, the season that's upon us. And I'm not talking about Kwanzaa, right? I'm not talking about Kwanzaa. Uh, but it's that type of year, that time of year where you break out your, your, your Motown CDs, Christmas albums, that's right. You break out, you know, Whitney Houston's greatest hits, right? Maybe even some Bob Dylan, right? <laughs> And you, you do all of that and you put, it, you put it on repeat until January 1st, all right? Just by show of hands, who does that, all right? Stop doing that. I'm just kidding, just kidding. I hashtag love Christmas. I wanted to say that. I hashtag love Christmas. Um, here's why, because there's a sentiment about it where there's like this buzz that is tangible and invisible. Um, and there's, there's lights, there's singing, there are classic films like Charlie Brown's Christmas, right? But also there's the, the miracle on 34th Street. And I know everybody in here loves the, the, the film Elf, right? That's a classic, right? That is a classic. If you haven't seen uh, Elf, uh, you, you need to. That is just straight blasphemy if you haven't seen <laughs> Elf, right? If you love Jesus, you need to watch Elf. <laughs> I won't say any more about that. <laughs> but I also love the, uh, the festive and the joyous dispositions of complete strangers, which makes for awkward, <laughs> awkward uh, exchanges. But there's this collective embrace of the holiday that is really unique. And what I find f fascinating about the collective embrace of the holiday is that within society, we tend to hold to uh, a common vernacular, and in, in this common vernacular, it, in a way, it's an attempt to display solidarity throughout the season. And what's, what's interesting, though, is that in all of our, 
in all of our attempts to display this solidarity, what's obvious is that while we may hold to the same vocabulary loosely, we're not working from the same dictionary. We're totally not working from the same dictionary. And here's why, because we derive and apply different meanings and definitions to the season. For one, it can mean one thing. For another, it's, it's something totally different. And what we have in society is this, what I call an inevitable uh, collision of meaning. And it spills over into our ideas about who God is. It spills over into ideas about who Jesus is and who we are in our humanity. And I believe that it's possible to actually go through this season and to consider God in a way that is inspiring and like intellectually stimulating. But here's what happens, right? We end up detaching and divorcing him from all that explains who he truly is and what he's done through Jesus. And I think if we're honest for us specifically, I know for myself during the season, it's, it's, it's all too easy for me to disengage from, from the gravity of what the scriptures state about the birth of Christ. And I, I just wanna be honest, there are times where I tend to reduce its significance to just another festive federal holiday. And I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand if that's you. But there's a point that I want us to consider. Within the scriptures, the Christmas story, the birth narrative, it's not just another festive federal holiday. The birth narrative is the mission of God. And within the mission of God, through the birth of Jesus Christ, what emerges is the providence of God and the details of Jesus's birth. We also see the purpose of God in the reason, the why behind Jesus's birth. And then we see the presence of God in the person of Jesus. Christmas, without a doubt, is theological, whether, regardless of how we slice it. It is theological, it is Christological, it is gospel-centered. And it's the mission of God unfolding through the birth of Jesus. And it's impossible for such a, a seismic story to be reduced to anything less. And my, 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 my prayer, my hope is that you wouldn't do that. Don't reduce it to anything less. So let's jump into our text this morning. We're going to read the entire chapter of Matthew 1. Uh, I know some of you are already there and you're like, but Marcel, wait a second, there's a genealogy. Yeah, we're going to go there. Absolutely. So bear with me and we're going to read it in its entirety. Let's read, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nishan, and Nishan the father of Salmon and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse 
and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. And Joram, the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah, the father of Jotham. And Jotham, the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. And Manasseh, the father of Amos. And Amos, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers. At the time of the deportation to Babylon. Verse 12. And after the deportation to Babylon... Jeconiah was the father of Shiltel, and Shiltel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, to whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. We're going to keep reading. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Jesus. Let's, uh, let's pray one more time before we jump into all that we're going to cover today. Father, thank you for uh, this morning. Thank you for... Just time in your word. Help us, God, during this time. Help us, Father, to, to see Jesus rightly, to see him as Matthew uh, details within the genealogy and the circumstances of Mary. Help us to see uh, your providence in all of this. Help us to see uh, today, Father. Help us to see your purpose and help us to see uh, the presence of Jesus. I pray that, God, today. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 
He's writing to a Jewish audience. In the first 19 verses, um, we encounter what we call the providence of God. Give me one second. There we go. The providence of God in the details of Jesus' birth. And Matthew, Matthew goes all, he goes Ancestry.com on us, right? <laughs> and uh, he, he gives us a genealogy within the first 17 verses. And then he describes Mary's unique circumstance. And then lastly, and that's verse 18, then in verse 19, we see Joseph's plan to remedy what he perceives to be a messy situation. And when we consider God's providence in this section, uh, Matthew's use of a genealogy, it's key because it sets a framework for lineage and identity. Uh, and this is significant because Matthew is writing to Jews, and for the Jews, uh, a genealogy holds weight. Because in Jewish thought, a genealogy says, who you are has to do with where you come from. I'm going to say that again. Who you are has to do with where you come from. And what I want to say, now this isn't just exclusive to the Jews, because this is something that all cultures do in their own unique way. But the way that Matthew is approaching this, he's wanting to, he's wanting to uh, press into this idea of, well, let me tell you who Jesus is. And Matthew understands the great significance of a genealogy. He gets it. And uh, it's, I think it's important for us, too, to, to like when we, when we consider genealogies as they're laid out in Scripture, don't read over them too fast, right? Think about who's being communicated, what's being communicated, the circumstances surrounding the individuals, uh, because they're important. So Matthew opens the genealogy with two figures, two major figures. We've got Abraham and David. And then he also details one major event. And we're talking specifically about the deportation to uh, Babylon. And first, he connects Jesus to God's promise to Abraham, uh, as he mentions, you know, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, but also the son of Abraham. He connects Jesus to God's promise to Abraham. And in Genesis 1, you can turn there if you like, you can make a little note uh, on your bulletin. Genesis chapter 12, sorry, verse 1, God gives Abraham a promise. And this, this promise has everything to do with the nations being blessed through him. But then Matthew, understanding how the genealogies is working, he also connects Jesus to David. And this is where God promises David that one of his descendants will rule on his throne, will sit on his throne. But it doesn't stop there because the individual that's sitting on the, on the throne is going to have universal and unending reign. That was quite the pause, wasn't it? <laughs> We see that in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. And again, this is strategic and significant because Matthew understands his audience. And what he's wanting to do for them is connect the dots. He's wanting to connect the dots. And he opens this up saying, look, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, this is the one through whom the nations will be blessed. The genealogy of Jesus Christ, this is the one who has universal and endless rule and authority. There's a lot of theological weight in that. A lot of theological weight in that. 
And again, Matthew understands that. And where he's going with this is that he's stating that Jesus is the culmination of the promises of God to his people, Israel. That's huge. Paul echoes this truth in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, where he says, all the promises of God find their yes and amen in who? Christ. In Christ. But Matthew doesn't stop there with this section. He begins to connect the dots to, to actual people and circumstances. If you look through this genealogy, the first, the first seven uh, verses, first six verses at that, uh, you see five women that are mentioned, and that's significant. And then along with that, you see Gentiles that are mentioned. You got Ruth, the Moabitess, and you've got uh, Rahab, who's the, Can the Canaanite prostitute. And then with the people in the circumstances, if you, if, if you, if you know your Bible a little bit, there, there are some, there are some, <laughs> some interesting stories that are unfolding um, within the lineage of Jesus. Uh, he mentions Tamar. Just by a show of hands, who's read a little bit on what happened with Judah and Tamar? All right now. Yeah. So he mentions Tamar. He mentions individuals who had serious issues, who would be perceived as immoral outcasts. And I want you to just, again, just, just lightly read over the first five verses of this genealogy, because what, what we can miss is that this genealogy is actually ethnically diverse. It's an ethnically diverse group. But don't miss the, prov the providence of God in permeating all their circumstances for his mission. And his mission has everything to do with the arrival of Messiah through a young girl who's betrothed to her husband, found to be with child before their marriage, has been consummated. And here's a, a point that I want to emphasize as we transition to the next section. I think this is a reminder when we consider the providence of God, that the providence of God includes events that for, like for us, we wouldn't design these events, right? Judah and Tamar, no, that's like Jerry Springer, right? We're, we wouldn't design that, but God did. God did. So the providence of God includes events that we would never design, but it shows a God who reaches out to those who are morally messed up. Just when you thought you had it all together, right? You are morally, I am morally messed up. And again, he reaches out to these individuals for his big mission. I want to transition to the next uh, section. We want to see the, the purpose of God and the reason for Jesus' birth uh, verse 20 and 21 uh, touch on that. And Matthew has just, within the first uh, 19 verses, he's just communicated that Jesus is the one through whom the nations will be blessed, but also that Jesus has all authority and rule, and it's going to be this endless authority and rule. But then he makes a very pointed statement in verse 21, a very pointed statement about the purpose of God in the birth of Jesus. And it's a statement that at the heart of it, there's a redemptive mission. Verse, one, verse 21 states, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. But don't stop there 
because he, emphasis added, will save his people from their sins. I would ask you to say that with me. I know you want to. I'm not, I'm not going to. He will save his people from their sins. And, and I want you to just kind of think about what this is echoing. This is echoing the tenor of the first announcement of the gospel. Now, Marcel, why would you say that? Let me tell you why. Because if we go to Genesis 3 and we look at verse 15 specifically, what we have is certainly we've got creation, fall, and God is, he's, 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 he's speaking to the serpent specifically. And here's what he says in Genesis 3.15. He says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, he's going to eliminate you. Right? He's going to crush you. He's going to conquer you. All right? And then from that point forward, in Scripture specifically, what we have from Genesis 3, 15, all the way through to Revelation is the preservation and protection of the promised seed. He's the sin and Satan conqueror. And when we get to Matthew's gospel, the promised seed is here. He has arrived. This, this anticipation building up. The promised seed is here. His mission is set. And it's a definitive consequence. Again, a definitive consequence. He will save his people from their sins. I have a uh, um, hip-hop artist that my kids love. They really don't. I think they know who I'm going to say. Shy Lin. You can write that down in your notes. He's a, he's a hip-hop artist. Uh, and he, his, uh, his brand is Lyrical Theology. Yeah, Lyrical Theology. And uh, Shy has a, has a song that deals with the atonement. And he, 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 he begins to unpack the, the, the theological genius of Matthew. And he's unpacking basically that Jesus certainly accomplishes what's, what's communicated in verse 21. And he calls this a definite atonement. It's a definite atonement. And he goes on to say, it's not a might. Oh, he might accomplish this. Not a, oh, he, he, may, he may accomplish it. No accomplishes it, period, period. I think the purpose of God, this is the point that I think we should consider, the purpose of God, when we consider the reason for Jesus' birth, it should comfort our hearts. Because the mission of God in reconciling fallen humanity back to himself is accomplished, I'm being, that's repetitive, it is accomplished by Jesus. He does it. Lastly, I want to consider the presence of God in the person of Jesus. Um, and this is the, the, the final section here. The presence of God in the person of Jesus, looking at verses 20 through, 22 through 25. Matthew reminds his readers in verse 22, and I want you to track with me. In verse 22, and all that he's just mentioned regarding the providence and purpose of God in the details of Jesus' birth. And this is the one through whom the nations will be blessed, whose kingdom and rule is unending. It's universal. This all took place 
to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. He says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Now, throughout Matthew's gospel, throughout his gospel, this idea of fulfillment, it appears nine other times. If you'd like to know where, just holler at me after the service. Okay, just talk with me after the service. But it appears nine other times. And this is very significant. And, and I would say it's significant because any time you see repetitive phrases in, in scripture, pay attention. Pay attention to those repetitive phrases and terms. This, 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 this theme of fulfillment, it's, 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 it's it has new significance now that Jesus has arrived. And what Matthew is doing by stating this, he's doing biblical theology in its purest form. He's considering what scripture has said, and he's feeding it through, filtering it through all that Jesus is. So it's taking, it's taking on new significance. And what he does is he alludes to Isaiah chapter uh, 7, if you want to write that down, verse 14, where the prophet Isaiah is having a conversation with King Ahaz. And King Ahaz, he ruled Judah. Now, mind you, Israel, is a, it's a divided kingdom. He's ruling in Judah. And what we know about King Ahaz, according to Scripture, specifically in 2 Kings 16 and 2 Chronicles chapter 28, is that Ahab, along with many others, did what was evil within the sight of God. And he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. And Isaiah's words come to Ahaz during a time, because Jerusalem is the capital city of, Ju uh, of Judah. It comes to Ahaz during a time that Jerusalem is about to be besieged. It's under attack by the kings of Syria and the kings of Israel. And Isaiah tells Ahaz, chill out, man. No, he doesn't say that. <laughs> He says, I just want to make sure you guys were with me. All right? Isaiah says this. He says, take comfort in the faithfulness of God. I'm paraphrasing here. But take comfort in the, in, in the faithfulness of God. And here's how you're going to do it. Look for the sign of a virgin girl giving birth to a son. And know that when you see this, know that the presence of God is with his people through Emmanuel. I want, you to, I, want you to, I want you to think about Matthew's main concern in alluding to Isaiah 7. His main concern is that Jesus isn't just like a potential fulfillment of this. No, Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah's Emmanuel. Like, we get that now, right? Absolutely. But that's, that's huge. Jesus is the fulfillment. It all points to him. He's the fulfillment of Isaiah's Emmanuel. And this is significant because this, this, this term, Emmanuel, it's a title. And here's what it signifies. It signifies the character and mission of Jesus as God with his people to save them from their, you say it, sins. 
Interesting. Interesting. You're connecting the dots in your head. Your, your, your synapses are firing, and that's good. That's good. Jesus is the fulfillment of, of, of Isaiah's Emmanuel. And I believe that Matthew is very intentional, very strategic, and with, convi- with full conviction. He's wanting his audience to know. He is wanting you to know. He is wanting me to know. He is wanting the world to know in the fullest sense that Jesus, as God's son, is also God himself with his people. Jesus. Like, so he's, he's I tell my kids, you know, when we think about the virgin birth, it's, this is God with a belly button, right? God with a belly button, he's come. Some of you are thinking, God with a belly button? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. God with a belly button. But Jesus as God's son is God himself with his people. Jesus is the, pardon my language, the with us God. With us God. Jesus is the with us God. And what's, what's interesting about this, this idea of God with us, the with us God, Jesus is that individual. We've got the presence of God in the person of Jesus. That's a recurring theme throughout Matthew. Matthew begins his gospel. He begins this, 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 uh, this narrative pointing to that. But he also ends there in Matthew 28. And here's what he says, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I'm going to paraphrase this. We see the church obeying its, manda- its mandate to disciple the nations. And then he says, says that Christ says this, Jesus, who's the with us God, he makes a promise. And this promise is that he will continue his presence with his followers to the end of the age. That's big. That is big. I know we, uh, we begin our time this morning stating that um, Christmas, it gives us reason to rejoice. And when we consider all that Matthew just, just chopped up and laid out for us, that is a reason indeed to rejoice. And if you're in Jesus, it's true, no doubt, that you can rejoice in this. Because what we see emerging from the mission of God through the birth of Christ is the providence of God. We see the purpose of God, and we see the presence of God. And for the Christian, again, we can rejoice in that because Jesus, the with us God, he's our salvation. He's our hope. He's our redeemer, and he's our king. Let me just say this, if you're here this morning and you've, uh, you, 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 uh, you've divorced Jesus from what the scriptures state about him and you've reduced him to, any, to, to something less than that, my, my, my plea for you and my prayer is that you would relinquish your unbelief and in relinquishing your, un- your unbelief, you would agree with what God has written in the scriptures concerning his son, Jesus. You know, it's possible to have Christian experiences. It's possible to be socialized into this context here and to come Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, 
and to pro profess but not actually possess. I don't know where you are, but it's possible. And again, if that's you, don't, redu don't reduce Jesus to anything less than what the scriptures has stated about him. Scriptures has not only stated much about Jesus, but it's also stated much about our sin and how we've missed the mark of God's holy and righteous standard. And because we've missed the mark of that holy and righteous standard, God has to punish that sin. My, 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 my plea for you, if, again, that is you, you're reducing Jesus to something less, is that you would repent and believe the gospel, the good news. Again, that you would repent and believe the good news of Jesus, who is the sin and Satan conqueror, whose mission was to die for his people and bring about new life. Now, I, I want to end our time with some Monday morning takeaways. Oh, there we go. <laughs> end our time with some, uh, some observations from the text that I believe can encourage, should encourage your hearts during this season, and uh, certainly can be something that we can rejoice in this Christmas. The first takeaway is this. Remember that God's providence includes events that we would never design. I stated this previously. And he reaches out to those who are morally messed up, and that's us. And praise God for that. All right? Praise God for that. Here's the second takeaway. And again, a basis for rejoicing. The purpose of God and the reason for Jesus' birth and remember, Jesus is the, the, the sin and Satan conqueror through whom the nations will be blessed and whose kingdom and rule is universal and unending. The purpose of God is a redemptive mission, and it's a definitive consequence. He does what he sets out to do, and that's to save his people from their sins. And here's the third one, again, a basis for our rejoicing. Jesus is the with us God. I know that's, that's wordplay right there, right? A double entendre, I believe. No, it's not a double entendre, right? It's wordplay. But Jesus is the with us God who promises to continue his presence with his people right here, right now, into the end of the age. Think about that. Right here, right now, into the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, as we end our time today and we consider your providence and your purpose in the details of Jesus' birth and your presence through the person of Jesus, help us not to divorce and detach Jesus from who he truly is and reduce him to something that's less. Stated that he is the sin and Satan conqueror. The nations will be blessed through him and his kingdom. It has no end. And this is good news to proclaim and rejoice in. And I pray that for us, that it would be so this Christmas. I pray that in your name. Amen.